Welcome to the Fully Restored Podcast. Christians often struggle to talk about areas of deep hurt like trauma or abuse, shame or betrayal. These are deep soul wounds. Friend, Christ came to not only heal us from our sin, but from our soul wounds as well. My name is Kristen Klaus and I'm a licensed professional counselor and author. And my guest and I are here to walk with you on your healing journey. We see you and hear you. Friend, if you hang with me, apply these truths to your life, you will be on your own path to a fully restored story. Grab your coffee, tea, or favorite drink, and let's get started. Hi everyone, this is Kristen Klaus, and you're listening to the Fully Restored Podcast. Today's show is actually us reviewing a show that we did back last fall with a dear soul, Maureen Hager. Her life is powerful. She was involved in a biker gang and was shot and came through on the other side and into a relationship with Jesus. She has a powerful testimony. One of the reasons I wanted us to revisit the show, not only because of her powerful testimony, but because a few months ago, Maureen was promoted to heaven. And she right now is seated before the throne of God, and she is worshiping and in a better place. But her story, her testimony is going to go on for many years to impact individuals. So I wanted us just to revisit this show this week of this beautiful soul. So here's our episode, and may it minister to you and encourage you and strengthen you today. Hi, everyone. This is Kristen Klaus, and you're listening to the Fully Restored Podcast. Today, I am joined by my guest, Maureen Hager. And today, you are going to hear her powerful story of being caught up in a violent gang war where she was shot. Her story doesn't stop there, and she's going to share with us about her long journey of recovery, both physically and spiritually, and her Fully Restored story. Welcome to the Fully Restored podcast, Maureen. Well, thank you, Kristen. It's great to be with you. It's wonderful to have you here. So, Maureen, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, the work you do in your family? Yes, I'm married. Last month was our 39th anniversary. And I have two daughters, grown daughters, and two dispirited, fun grandchildren. And this is the life that I had really longed for, which was really the start. I always wanted a family, and I started to uh, look for that family outside of mine because it wasn't apparent there. And so I'm, you know, I'm grateful that the Lord did finally answer my prayer and gave me the desires of my heart. Mm, That's wonderful. And what's the work that you're doing? Well, I'm I'm the author of Love's Bullets. I've also written numerous articles and a contributing author in several books, including She Writes for Him, Stories of Living Hope. And I'm a speaker, and I love to share the depth of God's redemptive love to all who seek Him. No matter how troubled their past is, I live in Western North Carolina, and I also am an advocate for anti-human trafficking. And I mentor girls that have come out of sex trafficking 
and just become a friend, a, a mentor, and just help them as they try to find out what life, what their new life is all about. There's a lot to put together for these girls. They've been so traumatized. So Maureen, how did you, let's just jump right into your story. How did you get involved in an outlaw biker gang? Uh, by mistake. <laughs> Well, I, for whatever reason, the Lord put it in my heart, the importance of family. I mean, from even a young age. And my family was not really nurturing. My parents fought quite a bit verbally. And home was not a happy place. So I started looking for love and acceptance in other places. And mostly that was with my friends and where there were drugs, I was there. And so eventually I had a friend whose boyfriend was in this biker club and she asked me to come along with her one night. And so I did. And that's where I met my uh, husband then. His name is Vigo. And um, he just really captured my heart. He was uh, very charismatic and he always looked like he had a secret. People just kind of gravitated to him. And so when he called me to come over and meet him, you know, I, I just was thrilled because the gang told me that they would be my family, that they would protect me and provide all the drugs I needed. And, um, and I believed them. I believed them. And so I thought that they would be my, my family. So that's what, that's what led me to get involved. The fact that I had a friend who was already involved, it just seemed like a natural phase to uh, join the gang. And how old were you? Let's see, I was 24 Maybe at that time I was 26 when I got shot. So it might have, I might have been even a little younger. Okay. And so did you get married right away or how was that relationship? No, in a gang, you know, women are considered second class citizens, but they don't tell you that. You learn that. So I was uh, Vigo's old lady. And he was my old man. And what that meant was that nobody else in the gang could bother me because I literally was branded that I belonged to him. And I mean, eventually we did get married, but that was, you know, a couple of years later. Okay. And so you've talked to us about how you got involved in the gang and that that desire for family that love and acceptance and protection. And, and this gang told you that they would supply that for you, that they were going to love you, they were going to protect you, they were going to be your family, but not really realizing that women were considered second-class citizens and, and you just kind of came under their wing. What brought you to that point where you said you were 26 years old, where that fateful night that forever changed your life. Gangs are extremely protective of their territory. And so coming from uh, New York, I uh, and a couple people with me 
we went into Texas because we were called. I didn't really know, but we were called for reinforcements. And as soon as I walked into the clubhouse, I saw this man that was just severely, he had a knife cut. Someone tried to stab him and his chest was just covered in in these wounds. And he had left the hospital and was staying there. And so I never, I never saw him again, but I never forgot him. And I remember thinking that, okay, I have really gotten myself into something here. I wanted to leave the gang for quite a while, but it's not like you just pack your bag and say, okay, I'm leaving. You literally are, like I said, you're the property of them. And so I didn't know how I was going to get out of this, although it was really a deep desire in my heart. So it was just six nights of being there in Texas. And we knew there was a, a war going on over the territory. And so we were told never to go out by ourselves, never to turn a light on at night, always use candles. And so that sixth night, me and me and Vigo were still up. There was other people in the house, but they were towards the back of the house. And our dog started barking and he went to the back to let them in. And just as I heard them coming towards me, the shooting started because I had turned on a light. I couldn't find any matches. I thought, I'll just turn this light on for one second look for the matches and then turn it off right away. But they were waiting for me <laughs> or whoever in that front room. What happened was the, the light switch was to my right and I turned the light switch on with my left hand. In doing that, it protected my heart. My heart was covered by my arm. Had I not done that, I would have been dead. That act saved me. And I have to say that was the Lord because there was no no reasonable explanation for why I did that. But that saved my life. The shooting continued and I got shot one more time in my right thigh within 16 rifles. You know, that was the start of a life change because it took quite a while for me to recover from this physically. And the doctor <laughs> that night said he wasn't sure he could even save my leg, but I would go back into surgery. I didn't know what was ahead of me. And this was a completely different scenario that I had pictured, but that that's what happened. And I was in the hospital quite a long time. And I a couple times for safety reasons, but I was when I woke up in intensive care, my leg was in traction. And you know, this was several years ago, so you know, I don't know what they do today, but at that time, my leg was uh, like up in the air with these heavy weights pulling on it, and you know, there was no place for me to escape, I was stuck in that bed. And then a couple months later, that when that didn't seem to work, they put me in a body cast, which probably was the worst of all my rehab 
tries because I was just a cocooned in a case of plaster. I couldn't, I couldn't move. I mean, it was just horrible, very painful. So that, that lasted two months. And then finally, when I was transferred to another hospital, the doctor said, you know, none of this was working. My leg was shattered beyond repair. And he was going to take the cast off. And then I would have surgery to pull my leg together. So they took a, a piece of my hip and put it between the opening in my leg. But he never told me that my leg would be two inches shorter as a result, which I think he could have mentioned that. So when I woke up, you know, I couldn't bend my knee. I still can't to this day. My leg was shorter. And boy, that was really a game changer in trying to figure out all of that. But then I finally called my my dad. You know, at this point, when you're in a gang, you don't the only people you associate with are other gang members. So I hadn't seen or talked with him in quite a while, but he did know what happened to me. And he came immediately and uh, picked me up from there and brought me home to New Jersey. So I, I had to lay in a station wagon that he rented and he drove straight through and they waited for me at the hospital there. He had made all the plans. So that was in itself quite a reconciliation that he was able and willing to come and get me because, you know, I, I didn't have, I don't have, didn't have any advocate in the hospital. And when you're there, you need an advocate. You need somebody that's kind of watching what's going on. I didn't have anyone. So what happened to Vigo and, and the gang? Did they just leave you there? I would like to know what happened to Vigo. He left me in the hospital. Hmm. I never heard from him again. He just left me. When I first got in the first hospital, he would come visit me and use my room as a, a club meeting. He used the phone. And he wasn't really there to see me, but to, you know, make plans with the club. And that went on for a couple of weeks. And the night before I was supposed to have my surgery on my leg, I asked him to stay. And he said he couldn't. And he left. He just left me. And I never heard or saw him again. Hmm. That point was fine with me. So, so your life also included physical, emotional, and spiritual trauma. Could you share with us about this abuse that you suffered? Well, where do I start? The physical is pretty obvious. I mean, once I got to New Jersey, I had still a good year of rehab, mostly outpatient. I couldn't even sit up. So it, that was a long, long journey. Emotionally, I had no idea what, where I was going to go. What was I going to do? You know, I remember, remember laying in bed one night and thinking all that I did to look for a family got me where I was that day. So, you know, again, I was in, in the hospital alone, had a couple of nurses that were so good to me. And, um, but basically I was on my own. And that caused a lot of emotional trauma. 
And spiritually, I didn't know the Lord. I had two uh, nursing assistants that came into my room and wrote some Psalms in the back of my Gideon's Bible and said, I want you to read these. And I did read them, but I didn't think they were for me because I thought that the Bible, Jesus, the church, all of that, that was for righteous people. And I knew I wasn't one. Although I did always believe there was a God, I just, I didn't know him. So that that caused more trauma. So spiritually, I was lost. Yeah. And believing that, you know, a lot of individuals, I'm just thinking of the listener right now, because your story is just a powerful story. And we haven't gotten to the redemptive part, but in your story, you know, when you experience unhealthy relationships, let's just talk about the unhealthiness of being involved in the gang and that you're looking for love and acceptance and you, and you go and you have them telling you that they're going to be your family and take care of you. And then it doesn't end up being what you think it's going to be, but you feel trapped in it. That feeling that I'm not good enough. Yes, I believe that there's a God, but I'm not righteous. And so those scriptures that you're talking about, those are great, but I'm too far gone. I'm too broken. I'm not righteous, so I'm not deserving of his love or acceptance. That's right. And so that was really on the forefront of your mind as they're sharing. So so you shared with us about this difficult experience, you, uh, horrendous experience. And really, I'm thinking as when I asked that question about what happened to Vigo, I'm thinking that was God's grace that he just kind of disappeared because they could have continued to have control over in your life. Now, can you share with us your fully restored story? Yes, and I'm very grateful that I've been restored. Once I got back, to New Jersey, I called a friend. This was, you know, several months later, but I called a friend who I knew was, she wasn't really involved with the gang as I was, but she was, you know, she knew about them. And I called her and she asked if she could come over to see me, of which I said, yes, but she didn't come alone. She brought several, uh, several people from her youth group with her. And um, so we had a talk and, you know, I really liked, liked them. They didn't preach to me. They didn't judge me. They just were reaching out as a friend. And that made a big impression on me. They asked me to come to church and the next week I came. It was during a baptismal service. And, I, you know, I'm hearing these stories of how God has restored uh, all these people, you know, that were addicted to drugs and, you know, whatever it was. And I was kind of shocked by that. Like, you know, God, that was even what he wanted for, for us sinners. <laughs> and so um, I did come home that night and I asked, the, I asked the Lord, you know, if you can do that for these people, can you do it for me? And of course he said, yes. And, you know, that night I became born again. And then from there, I was fortunate that uh, these people in the church just really kind of gathered around me and helped me, discipled me, mentored me. 
And it was just terrific. And I thought, well, this is what family is all about, you know. And so I did get the family of God instead. And it was quite different. Yes, quite different, huh? Yeah. And it was wonderful, you know, to know I I was in some Bible studies and I got to know my way around the Bible and the scripture. And I realized that there were so many lies that I was believing as to who I was, you know, and then to see that God, you know, calls me his child and how he loves me. And I mean, it was just. What? I couldn't believe it, but I did accept it and I was grateful for it. You know, as you're talking about that, and um, I'm just thinking back to what you were talking about when you got involved in the gang, that the difference is that with the love of God, and I'm thinking again for the listener, with that acceptance of God, there's love and there's, there's, you're accepted for who you are. And it's not conditional. The gang was conditional. We'll be your family. We'll be your support. We'll protect you. But it was conditional that you do things their way. And here God's coming in with his restorative love and acceptance and adopting all of us into his family with not conditional, but well, really the only condition is that we invite Jesus into our heart, into our life. And then from that point, it's restorative. Right. Right. With your life experience and where God has brought you today, can you share a couple of things, two or three things with our listeners as they're beginning their own journey of healing? Yes. One of the things that I love so much about the Lord is that he's not conditional, that he just says, come. You have a willing heart, an open heart, and just come. And I love that because it's not like, oh, I got to get cleaned up. I have to look this way, act that way. He, It's none of that. You know, I would say you're not too broken. Your past does not define you. And you can be whole again. So what I did is I surrendered. I have to surrender these embedded memories that I carried of shame, guilt, and condemnation. And I gave them to the Lord. It was a process. He was there. I, you know, I really sought him on different areas of my life that I knew I needed to change. And he was there. And, you know, I just learned of his love and so grateful for it. You know, you can see yourself as an overcomer in Christ's steadfast love. Yeah. So how did these events, I love that, but before I ask the next question, I love that just come, you know, just come because I'm thinking, you're talking about the love and not feeling valued and, and worthy. And I remember in fifth grade, I wasn't raised in a, in a Christian family. And I remember in fifth grade being at this is kind of aging me um, because they don't do this now, but there was like a, a Bible club that you could do once a week at our school. And because my friends did it, I did it. And so I would go once a week, we would go to the veterans building, which was down an alley across the street from our um, school. 
And there were a group of what I considered at the time, I wouldn't now, older women. And because I'm, I am now in, in my, Love. yeah, I'm in my fifties and I'm like, they, they weren't so old, but at the time they, they were older women. And I remember specifically one service that they were talking about the love of God. They were sharing about the love of God and how God's great love is for us. And I remember thinking and naming different people that were there thinking, oh, they need to hear this. They need to know that they're loved. And one of the ladies came to me afterwards and started telling me, you know, that love we were talking about is for you. And I can remember saying to her, oh, God can't love me, but you know, my friend Susie or my friend Johnny, he needs to hear that. And she tried to convince me that God's love was for me, but I, I couldn't accept it or believe it. And really the truth of everything of what you're saying is we just need to come. Whether we feel we're deserving of the love or not, mm-hmm. we need to come in our brokenness. We need to be willing to surrender our feelings of shame, our feelings of not being lovable or wanted or guilt or condemnation because of the choices that we've made in our life, just to come and to bring those to the feet of Jesus. And and that was your story. Right, right. And uh, believe me, I had a lot of people that really piled on the condemnation, you know, because of my past. And I did have shame and guilt, but I don't today. Now I realize, I mean, that's the gospel. Yeah. This comes to save people's souls and to love them. And yeah, uh, so I don't, I don't feel that anymore. Um, But I did, did quite for quite a while. So your book is titled Love's Bullet. Can you share with us, how did you come up with this title and what is the meaning of it? Well, I know it's an unusual title and a lot of people do ask about it, but I honestly believe that the Lord gave me that title because I probably wouldn't have picked it, but he made it really clear even when I was writing it, that it was to be called Love's Bullet. And of course, the tagline is a wounded victim in a biker gang war transformed by God's love. So, but what this refers to is going back to saying how badly I wanted to leave the gang and did not know how to get out. And it may seem odd, but it was that night of uh, the shooting that forever changed my life and how God saved my life with my arm over my heart. I just contribute that to those bullets, the whole war. And that was provided me with a way out. Yeah, it provided you with a way out. It provided you with a way of healing, um, the deep healing. Yes, you had to go through physical healing, of course, because of the injuries and the severity of it. But that emotional and spiritual healing and awakening that took place as a result. So I see how Love's Bullet is the title that God gave you. Yeah. So how can people connect with you online and purchase your book? Uh, You can go to my website, MaureenHager.com. And that's M-A-U-R-E-E-N-H-A-G-E-R. If you go there, you can see 
uh, find out a little bit more about my book and some of the other books that I've contributed to. And there's, you can get a free download of healing scriptures to soothe your soul. Some other information about sex trafficking, gangs, uh, and you know, just check it out. All my social media links are there and a link to my blog and a way to contact me. Well, thank you, Maureen, for joining us today. Our show notes and all the links shared with us today, they can be found at my website at fullyrestored.love. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date on all of our shows. And I would so appreciate it if you would leave a rating as well, whatever platform you're listening to us on, you can go ahead and do it right now at the end of this podcast. I would love to stay connected with you. So be sure to find me on Instagram and my Facebook page. Both of those are at author Kristen Klaus. I pray that this episode of the Fully Restored podcast ministered to you and really the message of God's love, love's bullet of how much God loves us, cares for us, and that we just need to come. We just need to surrender, seek Him and trust and allow Him into our life, not feeling like we can't come to Jesus because of everything we've done, but because of everything we've been through in our life, we need a Savior. And I pray that the words that Maureen has shared today and the tools that she has given, that you're walking out, that there's something that you can use and walk out in your own fully restored story. And remember, friends, nothing or no one is beyond restoration with our Jesus.